Hello, everyone, and welcome to On Location. I'm your host, Jared Cowan, and this is the 20th episode of our little show about filming locations. And, you know, I really want to thank everyone who's appeared on the show over the last few years. It really gives me a lot of joy to bring guests um, onto the show to chat about film and locations from your movies. So thanks again. Um, I'm really excited about today's episode. It's October in Los Angeles, and it's, I don't know, kind of beginning to feel like fall. I guess in the shade, it feels like fall. I don't know. You step out here in the sun, it's already getting pretty hot. Um, and since we're big fans of Halloween and horror here in the show, we wanted to shine a light on a fright-filled film shot in L.A. Now, when we talk about horror films shot in Los Angeles, a lot of the attention goes to two films that are set in the Midwest, those being, you know, A Nightmare on Elm Street, which shot all over the city, and uh, Halloween which was uh, concentrated uh, mostly in South Pasadena and Hollywood. You know, we can turn to maybe Poltergeist, which shot out in Simi Valley. We can talk about The People Under the Stairs, which shot in the West Adams District. But I think that one horror film that honestly doesn't get a lot of the attention it deserves in terms of L.A. location shooting is 1995's Tales from the Hood, uh, the film directed by Rusty Cundiff, written by Cundiff and producer Darren Scott, and executive produced by Spike Lee and his 40 Acres and a Mule Filmworks is an anthology horror film in the vein of movies that preceded it, like Creepshow, Twilight Zone the movie, and Cat's Eye. Uh, Though Tales from the Hood, however, infuses timely real-world issues into four short tales of fright-filled horror. Basically, when three gang members show up at the Sims funeral home looking for the shit, uh, meaning the drugs that they suspect are hidden in the decrepit mortuary, They're met by Mr. Sims, the wide-eyed, eccentric undertaker of the funeral home, played by the late, great Clarence Williams III. Uh, And through four stories brimming with social commentary, as told by the funeral director, the three young men are unknowingly taken on a journey to hell, and it is ultimately revealed that Mr. Sims is something much more ominous than a strange mortician dressed in time-worn Victorian clothing, and that the location is actually a doorway to hell. Uh, And today on this slightly cool morning. Uh, We are on Kellum Avenue at the exterior location of the Stims Funeral Home, a Victorian house in the historic Angelino Heights neighborhood near downtown Los Angeles. And the neighborhood is prominent for its collection of majestic Victorian-era homes. The Sims Funeral Home House, which we're sitting across the street from right now, was built in 1893. And funny enough, the house is also listed on Google as the Sims Funeral Home. Uh, But Definitely don't expect to memorialize your loved ones here. I did discover, however, that you can actually visit the property because the current owners converted the carriage house into a contemporary art gallery called Garden. You can actually make an appointment to visit it by going to grdn.la. Now, my special guest today has had a directing career spanning nearly 30 years. His first feature film was the hysterical rap mockumentary Fear of a Black Hat. He's directed loads of television, including sketches on more than 20 episodes of Chappelle's show. And within the last few years, he's really returned to his horror roots, having co-directed American Nightmares, two sequels to the film we're here to discuss today, and most recently, a couple episodes of the Greg Nicotero-produced horror anthology series Creep Show. I'd like to welcome the director and co-writer of Tales from the Hood, Rusty Cundiff. Rusty, welcome. Hey, thank you, Jared. And um, it's cool to be here. And I don't know if your listeners heard, but the, the ghetto bird, what we call in Los Angeles, the ghetto bird was flying overhead. 
have some helicopters that usually come out searching for somebody. Uh, so, you know, nice, nice, typical L.A. day here. That's what I like about doing these shows out on location. You know, I get the neighborhood. I know there's a guy washing his car just before. There's some yeah. young people over there smoking something, I know, right on the oh, corner. Yeah, sure. So we're all, but we're all good here. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, <laughs> the, the ghetto bird's a perfect thing for this because typically when you're shooting, you're often dealing with, you know, stopping production, stopping your shoot because helicopters, they're, they're the worst. The planes fly over, but they go. Right, the helicopters yeah, yeah. just circle Keep going. for 20, 30 minutes Yeah, sometime. for sure. I want to ask you real quick, when it comes to Chappelle's show, where did you shoot, where did a lot of the sketches shoot on location? You know, like, for instance, in the first episode, the Blind Hatred one, like, where you look oh, like you're Jesus out in the backwoods, you know? We were out in the backwoods. That was someplace, uh, so, yeah, all, all of Chappelle's show, we centered out of Manhattan. That was, you know, our production offices were in Manhattan, and we would shoot just outside of Manhattan for union reasons, I think. So sometimes we'd end up in a little bit of New Jersey, but then all around the boroughs there and uh, around, you know, New York, New York area. So that might have been across the state line. I, I, I can't recall. I, I just know it was a long effing drive to get there. Yeah. Um, you know, and you've, you kind of feel like you're going into deer hunter territory totally. at a certain point. <laughs> um, but it was like that. Yeah, I mean, you, there's like an old... Uh I know there's the one scene with the, like, there's the old gas station with yeah. the guys surrounding him. Well, you know, there's a lot of areas in, in the New York, New Jersey area. There's these little towns and little boroughs. And, and I think that's something that's kind of typical. You know, I'm from Pittsburgh. So back east, you find that a lot, too. But because of the topography and the way the mountains push everything, uh, there's still all these little small communities that are, not entirely self-sustained, but still have these little mom-and-pop shops and things because it's actually a pain in the ass to get to the mall all the time where, you know, certain areas that are flatter, you know, everybody just goes to, wherever I go out on the road where there's like 30 malls and, right. you know, Chili's. And, but, you, <laughs> you know, you don't want to do that every night if you're in some little town. You got to drive yeah, across right. bridges and over mountains. So right. There you go. What are some of your favorite horror films? Oh, wow. Uh, the Exorcist was one. Um, a Girl Walks Home Alone at Night is it, it, Let the Right Ones In. Yeah. Uh, let the Right One In, rather. Uh, the, the original uh, German version. That, Love that. that. Love it. That is amazing film. Um, uh, George Romero, uh, original Night of the Living Dead. Night Gallery, which, and, and Twilight Zone, but Night Gallery, which wasn't necessarily a horror show, but had some horror elements into in it sometime. This isn't a movie, but the episode of uh, Trilogy of Terror, which was a TV presentation, but had a, a little doll in it, which actually inspired the doll uh, that we ended up having in Tales from the Hood. So, Whether it be the police brutality that's depicted in Tales or the domestic abuse, um, you know, you're using, obviously, the horror of real issues in Tales from the Hood. You know, for you, are there other horror films that came before Tales that really use social commentary huh. to make a statement? I mean, in certain ways, like Black Yellow did, you know, it, it was, uh, you know, kind of in that 70s period of black exploitation films, which often had the white man or whitey as he yeah. was called then as a, a foil uh for you know black protagonists and you know how blackula ends up where he is and in the situation he is is kind of a racially motivated thing 
So, uh, so, so there's that. And I'm trying to think if there, if there's anything else, of, of course, the twilight zones often had some, almost always had some kind of moral compass that they were playing around with. So, you know, you have the one where the lights are going on and off and, you know, the, the, the town goes crazy because they, they, everyone's blaming each other. There's uh, oh, what's the one that deals with race? There's, there's one of those that, that, that deals with race as well. And, you know, even even non-horror things that I can remember, they kind of deal with race, like the old Dick Van Dyke show with, when uh, they think they've got the wrong baby. And, and, oh, yeah. And it's like, no. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, you don't. And the black family shows up at the end. And, it, you yeah. know, it's definitely a punchline, but it was pretty good. I mean, you being from Pittsburgh and George Romero, right? I mean, it's I, I always kind of look at Night of the Living Dead mm-hmm. and even like Dawn of the Dead as... I mean, he to me, he seems like kind of the godfather of horror films with kind of a social, you know, undertone to them. I mean, of course, that end of Night of the Living Dead, right? That's, I mean, yeah, it's staggering, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, the fact that he had this black protagonist um, uh, in Night of the Living Dead and it wasn't written that way, which helped because it was just written as a character. Yeah. So, you know, all of a sudden you're watching this this movie where this black guy is kind of shoving the white characters around. He slaps a white woman and That's throws right. her down on the sofa. And, you know, I, I've said many times that I think the horror to some of the audience was that this black guy was slapping these white people around. But it was, uh, you know, that... It, and, and some of George's other films also kind of had commentary about either uh kind of sexual values uh male versus female positions in the world and racial things and some of the other dead movies as well so yeah yeah i I think romero kind of broke some ground in that way you know as a fan of film have you ever hi there (laughs) have you ever uh I don't know. Have you ever geeked out while standing at a location where something was shot? You know, did something did something ever impress you so much that it had been used in something that you're just like, "Wow, this is the spot." For me, it it wasn't it wasn't after the fact. It was during. So while I was a student at USC, or maybe right after graduation, but I think while I was a student there, uh, some friends and I we went uh, downtown Los Angeles one night, and I don't know what I think we were probably looking for a taco shop or god only knows what we were doing but um we were walking around downtown la and we ended up walking onto the blade runner set and it was uh, it, it was like you know you, you t- turn the corner from was basically like a not attractive area anyhow but then all of a sudden you're the, in this dystopian universe and it was that scene where uh daryl hannah is walking down the street and uh you know, they had these big E fans out there blowing trash and stuff all over the place. And, and, and the lighting was there. And, uh, I think the first thing we saw, what attracted us to the street to begin with, because we didn't know that this was there was we saw this flash of light, like this insane trolley car. And there were no, there's still no trolleys in LA. I mean, there used to be the red cars years ago, but we saw this crazy thing going by with these crazy people hanging off of it and lights and shit. We're like, what the fuck is that? So then we went down and when it was that crazy night trolley thing that they had in there. And then we see this huge set where Daryl Hannah by herself is walking across this street 
And we didn't know it was Daryl Hannah, but it was just some chick in a little mini skirt. Right. Yeah. Things were blowing. And it was, it was amazing. It was like just the coolest thing I've, I've ever seen um, in turn. I have still haven't seen anything as awesome as that in terms of a set. And I don't know that you would see so much of that again. I mean, I know like I, I, I ended up on the Universal, no, the Warner Brothers lot on one of the Batman stages and one of the, uh, I think it was one of the Michael Keaton versions. And th- that was pretty impressive because they had built the stage, you know, wherever the floor was, the stage was built yeah. like eight feet taller. And, and it, that was pretty effing amazing. But to see, you know, that Blade Runner set and realize how much of that stuff they did practical and how much now would be digital and you wouldn't yeah. see it the actors wouldn't see it there'd be green screens all over the effing place and not to say that they didn't have some obviously they had some of that in that film but they did so much to create this set you know this whole block was just like a a sound stage but it wasn't a sound yeah. stage it was downtown and god knows how long it took some set designer and um is there something about the fact that a filmmaker shot something you know, supernatural or grisly at a horror film location, you know, what? maybe it's this, maybe it's something else, um, that makes visiting one for fans maybe even more palpable or even leave more of an impression than, say, visiting something from a drama or something like, or something like Blade Runner. Is there something more impressive about that? It, it's, it's more about the person who's experiencing it, you know, so... You know, if, for example, off topic, if you're an Elvis fan, going to Graceland is probably some kind of religious experience. Right. But if you don't give a fuck about Elvis <laughs> and someone gives you 10 tickets, you're like, what do I do with these? I don't know. So I think for, you know, fans of fans of horror or even if it's a fan of a, a particular film, an actor or something, when you go to a location and, and you're like, the, the the people that I like or the thing that I really like was here, you know, that really sticks with you. You kind of feel a sense of the history or you feel a connection um, to the art in some sort of way that you wouldn't get a- away from it. And, you, you know, you could take somebody to, uh, you know, a different set. You're like, oh, hey, you're on the set of Grey's Anatomy. Well, I've, <laughs> I've never really watched Grey's Anatomy. Who cares? But all of a sudden you're on the set of some little horror, indie yeah. horror film. Yeah. Hey, here's where Blair Witch shot this. Because it, it, like, does connect you in a different different way to what you know or and, and how you perceive things so uh and and you start to imagine all the shit that happened around it like you know if if it's a film thing oh yeah where did i wonder where so-and-so stand where they have this you know all those questions absolutely now i was looking i I was looking at your instagram account and i saw occasionally you'll post a photo when maybe you're scouting Mm. something actually some really cool looking places on there do you enjoy the process of location scouting Location scouting is one of my favorite parts of doing anything involving film or TV Um, because, one, I'm a bit of a voyeur anyhow. It's like just seeing what's going on some places. I don't have to be involved in it. I just like seeing what the hell is going on. And then in a location scout, it's like you're getting a glimpse of a couple of things. One, from a creative standpoint, from the film or TV, whatever the, whatever the script is that you're dealing with, one, 
the, there's all the possibilities. So it's what's on the page. You've got the story there. You know, uh, uh, Jared and Rusty go have coffee. But as you look at different coffee houses, there's a thousand different ways that this meeting at the coffee shop could take place. Am I going to pick them up through a window or am I going to start really tight? And, oh, wait, that's an interesting piece of something right there. Does that have some kind of thematic relation to the character or the story? So as you're looking at all these places, you get all that. Then on top of that, outside of the movie itself, it's just cool to see how people live. So, you know, I, or in, in, uh, not just in houses, but in offices and corporate things. And then you end up in all these places that you know you're not going to shoot, but they're like, do you want to see the subterranean basement where Al Capone probably, you know, did X, Y, and Z? Well, hell yes, I do. And so, you know, you get, you know, we, we were in, uh, we shot the uh, Tales 3 up in Winnipeg, and I wanted to shoot this location, but the, the studio forbade me from from using it. But we, we went through the... Uh, uh, sanitation uh, water treatment plant. And man, you want to talk about a cool location. Now it smelled like shit, uh, <laughs> which is they're like, people are going to get sick if you shoot here. I'm like, hey, we won't be here that long. Right. Um, but <laughs> it's so many interesting hallways and tunnels and pipes and weird stuff. I, I must have took a thousand pictures. But that's something that you don't get to see as an ordinary citizen. So it's the fun of you haven't shot anything yet. You're not locked into anything and everything is a possibility. So every place that you go and you look at, it, you go, oh, how would this be? And, and yeah. that's what's really cool about location scouting. Are there real life experiences that you've had that influence the settings of the various stories in Tales from the Hood? And Tales from the Hood, uh, a lot of, obviously, which is why we're here. We shot all this in Los Angeles. But being from Pittsburgh, I really wanted it to have a the kind of vibe that Pittsburgh has. So I might have mentioned to you at some point that I grew up near three cemeteries, three big old giant cemeteries. And uh, we would go and play in them. I mean, because, you know, they were almost like our backyard, uh, along with a baseball field stuff that was nearby. But we spent a lot of time like riding our bikes in the cemeteries, riding our sleds in the cemeteries because they were very hilly and there were areas that had not yet been developed. Throwing footballs in the yeah. cemeteries. We would just hang out in the cemeteries. It was a great, it was like a park with stones. <laughs> so that was a big influence on how I was hoping to get a cemetery to look out here. We settled for the one that we ended up in. Um, in Inglewood, I think, right? Inglewood, yeah. Uh, not far from what was the Fabulous Forum and is now the, what is it, the SoFi Center or whatever. Yeah. You know, it's a combination of old and new and, you, you know, people who have been dead for centuries. And it's very, the hills roll and there's trees and there's parts that are perfectly manicured, but then parts that are overgrown and crazy. And uh, I really wanted that. Um, you know, in, 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 you know, in these headstones were moss is growing on the headstone because it's, you know, a little damp and the, the way mist and, you know, in, in areas that are really hilly, there's, there's climate change sometimes within 10 or 15 feet because you go down in the hill and, and you know, the, the, the moisture or the fog will kind of sit yeah. for a minute. Um, so you get these kind of interesting, hey, there's a ghetto bird again. And it's, <laughs> you know, we're here. Um, but you get these kind of 
you know, interesting uh, growths in, in plant arrangements because of that. And, you know, here in Los Angeles, where the weather is, you know, mild almost for the majority of the time, and where the topography, uh, with the exception of certain areas, but especially when you're, you know, most of the cemeteries out here um, are, they may have a hill, but there's not a succession of hills. It's just, okay, one long slope, you know. But back there, you're winding and you're turning, and it, and, and it creates, it's like we were talking about with the Victorians, it creates a texture that you don't know what's around that corner. You don't know what's over here, as opposed to being able to see everything. Uh, when you can see it all easily, it's not as eerie. And then the houses and the architecture, I mean, we had you know some places that were kind of Victorian-like back in Pittsburgh. Um, Pittsburgh's also very hilly, and that's something else I like. The, you know, when it's flat, things disappear, but when something's hilly, you see levels, right. and you see further into the to the distance and so you know i was i was hoping to get some of that i, I would say a lot of um the stories too were just kind of influenced by you know things you see you see in life or stories that you hear about too did you always envision the funeral home as being victorian yeah pretty much because most of the funeral homes that i remember going to as a kid because uh, I, I went to a lot of them for some reason. I was always getting drugged to somebody's funeral or something by my parents. And, and next to our church, one of the churches we went to, there was a funeral home pretty much, I think, right next door, Crunkleton's funeral home. And that was kind of like this big kind of Victorian thing. And they had the pillars, you know, pillars outside. And a lot of the, a lot of the funeral homes back in Pittsburgh have this kind of stately and they look like they could have been the Adams family house or something like that. So um, I definitely wanted that. I just feel like that has a lot of character to it. And, and uh, you know, it, it just felt right. We're just a block away from Carroll Avenue, which is right here, which even though all these homes on this street are Victorian era, that house, that street, Carroll Avenue, actually has more kind of Victorian Queen Anne type homes, what we know as Victorian homes. And it has the house from the Thriller music video. Did you know that was there when you came to scout this neighborhood? <laughs> no, I had had no idea. Uh, somebody might have mentioned it, but I, maybe I forgot. But I, I don't remember knowing that that was there. But I, I knew I wanted to see wanted to get a Victorian kind of vibe for this house. And uh, I don't know if it was our production designer or I can't remember who our location person was on this, but somehow Carroll Avenue was one of the first places that we wanted to look. At the beginning of the film, one of the guys standing out here on the street before they go up to the door uh, says, you know, that place does look evil as hell, you know? Yeah, that was um, DeAndre Bonds. Yeah. What, what do you think it is about Victorian homes that make them kind of the quintessential spooky or haunted house in our collective cinematic imagination? Yeah, you know, I think it's because there's so much detail and there's so many lines. So, you know, you look at a Victorian home, they have all these, all, there, there's a lot of shadows because the way the light hits all the different angles of the architecture and all of the uh, the molding and all that kind of stuff it creates a lot of it creates a lot of shadows and a lot of texture and um, so it's complicated so complicated things things that we don't understand <laughs> become a little ooh. and and they can be beautiful too um, but if you light them the correct way they they look 
they they can look really foreboding, um, which is which is cool. Well, especially like you said too, with this in particular, this house in particular, because it's raised up too, right? You can yeah. kind of shoot up at it, and that's of course a technique that Hitchcock used with the Psycho House, the Psycho House, which is yeah. Victorian house, it is as a well, Victorian you know? house, yeah. And it always, you know, of course, it looked way bigger than it actually is. When you stand in front of that house, you're yeah. like, this thing's tiny, you know. It's almost like a crazy forced perspective thing because right. the the steps go up and they wind which helps too because you get the the angles of the stairs going up and then then you got the house at the top and the, you know and and all the the lines of the house point upward as well so it's constantly drawing your eye up which you know is a a powerful you know you you want to show power you sh- you shoot low yeah. generally speaking you know, one thing I found interesting, I was actually recently listening to the uh, behind the scenes from Carrie and Jack Fisk, the production designer, talks about her house. And though it's not, I guess you could call it a Victorian, it's a small Victorian that was out in Santa Paula. And what he liked about it, and it's kind of the same for this house and other Victorians in the area, is that it's kind of asymmetrical, mm, right? right? Is that like yeah. you have that yeah. roof line over there, there's yeah. a lower roof line over here, yeah. Yeah. and that just kind of gives you an odd strange feeling of it yeah yeah i mean yeah it's it's it is kind of odd because you look at this house and you go it's symmetry and asymmetrical all at the same time right because you have these perfect triangles you have these perfect squares these perfect lines but the broader look at it is like well there's a chunk over here that's kind of doing this thing and then there's some curves back there this shit's going this way and that's going that way so yeah they do break up differently than than you know uh kind of a modernist house that all the lines are very coherent and parallel or perpendicular to each other you get very straight clean that kind of aesthetic and and this is you know your your eyes are constantly roaming they don't land they they go from here to there it's like oh i'm going up to the peak now i'm back down to the steps and that's that's leading my eyes back there what's going on over here but you know you you look at you know, modern architecture, you just take in the whole thing. Your eyes aren't roaming. It's like, bah, bang, you know. When was the last time you were here? Yeah, when we shot. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't know. What is that, 25 years, whatever it was? A long time ago. Is there any kind of feeling or anything that immediately comes back to you, especially not being here in 20-something years? It's, you know, kind of just remembering where things were. Like, you know, we had... I think a big light down there kind of coming this way. We had the Sim sign that we built up there uh, just above the, the, on this, you know, as you're coming up the walkway there. And then we had a a big, uh, uh, we have a crane or a jib or something out here that did that shot that pulled back over the car. And I, I can remember my actors, they were probably right about where this car is. It was either this car or that car to, to get the right, arc on the crane to get the camera to land correctly as it came off of them or onto them. Um, so yeah, all that, all that stuff kind of comes back. And just the fact that it was a, a late, you know, out here, out here at night. Did you have to scout locations at night? So you knew what you would be getting when you got to a certain, when you were actually shooting for some of them, we did, uh, not all of them. I think we might've done that for the cemetery. I'm not sure if we did it to, uh, in terms of this house, but you know, DPs, uh, are always, you know, pretty good at, if you have a good DP of, you know, even when you get to the location, even if it's a bright sunny day like this, they just look around and go, okay, so, well, it'll be night. So let's see, you know, where am I going to put 
you know, put our lights so that we get the shadows and everything going the way we want. And, you know, they always know. The first thing a DP will do anytime you're anywhere is go, what time of day is it and what's east, north, and west? So you know where, which way the sun is going to land, you know, to, to light your actors the best or light the scene the best. Um, but, yeah, I, I think the cemetery, I might have – I don't think that we – necessarily took everyone out there but i probably went there at night because i just like cemeteries <laughs> so fear of a black hat was all shot in la yep right and so you know and that being you know your first feature film did you learn anything about shooting on location that helped you uh when you then went to shoot on location on tales from the hood well <laughs> on fear of a black hat i learned it would be nice to have more more money um <laughs> i think because <laughs> it was a pretty cheap production yeah I, you know i don't know i mean it, it it was uh we shot a lot of practical locations on uh fear of a black hat i think maybe we you know anytime we were on stage it was because the band was playing on stage uh i think we shot at one stage location over in silver lake for an interview and that was because we did the my peanuts video there and then we did an interview with one of the one of the guys that was playing one of the managers so we weren't really there because we wanted to be on stage and build a set or anything but i think maybe that process helped me you know realize and maybe it's just you know looking for locations in la helped me realize that for tales being on a stage uh, even though it wasn't a real stage, it was warehouses downtown Los Angeles that are probably condominiums or something now. Um, but back when that area of Los Angeles was pretty empty and filled with, uh, well, they weren't meth addicts yet. They were heroin addicts back then only. Uh, uh, meth hadn't started yet. But um, a, lot of, a lot of addicts, a lot of addiction down there. And we ended up in a, uh, a warehouse down there where we could build... Um, we built the interior of the funeral home, the basement of the funeral home. We built Duke Metzger's mansion all on stage. We shot uh, some police station stuff with Wings Hauser and Michael Massey there, I think. Uh, we built uh, the bedroom that uh, the cop is in at the top, uh, the black cop. And then uh, uh, we shoot, shot Hell there, the, the final scene right. with Clarence Williams III. Uh, we had the kitchen that uh, David Allen Greer gets uh, killed in in the Boys Don't Cry episode. Um, yeah, so we shot a lot on on those stages, which, um, you know, f- Fear versus Tales. Tales was more of a fantastical thing, and there were more specifics and, and things involved. So it was great to be able to shoot it on a stage. You know, in the first sequence uh, with Martin Morehouse, uh, played by Tom Wright, you know, the cops are kind of the generically metropolitan police. That's what their car, that's what's on the cars, um, oh, yeah, right. which actually seems like this. It's, it feels like it's the same logo as like the police academy, like police academy. <laughs> be, yeah. I think it might be the same police force almost. Um, Could be. Um, did you, I mean, I know you said you wanted to get maybe a bit of a Pittsburgh kind of feel, but did you intentionally not want to say where these scenes were taking place? Yeah. Yeah, we we didn't want to uh, pick a city. I mean, I wanted it to have a Pittsburgh feel, but I knew it wasn't 
So I, I didn't want to call it Pittsburgh because people in Pittsburgh were like, that's bullshit. Um, <laughs> but that's like when I watch Mindhunter and Mindhunter is saying that they're all over the place. And I'm like, every place they are is in Pittsburgh. I know every fucking location on that show. And it's hilarious. They're like, oh, hey, we're in Texas. We're in L.A. We're in California. I'm like, nope, you're, you're at the penitentiary in Pittsburgh. <laughs> but uh, that's a minor thing. Uh, <laughs> I did want I did want that that Pittsburgh feel, so we you know kind of struggled to find it, but I didn't want to name it. Did you not want to shoot it in L.A.? No, I didn't want to shoot in L.A. I wanted to shoot in Pittsburgh <laughs> because I knew the cemeteries there, and I I said you know there was a uh, funeral home next to our church. Um, you know I, I I dated a girl very briefly in Erie, PA, whose family ran a funeral home and she lived up above it. And then I, I went to the prom with a girl who, uh, her father, uh, had a funeral home and there's a picture of us pre prom where I came to pick her up and, and we're standing there and there's a beautiful bouquet of flowers behind us. But like, just if the cam- if you could widen the camera out, there's a dead dude laying there because we took the picture in front of a casket because her dad is like, this is a good looking shot. Look at all the flowers. <laughs> Don't mind him. He doesn't care. He's dead. Um, you know, uh, people who deal with, with death are very casual about yeah. it. They could care right. less. So, <laughs> and so, uh, but anyhow, I've been inside a lot of funeral homes and back back east, you know, they, they had this kind of really lived in, the, in, in the cemeteries as well, this really deep lived in feeling like, they, you know, the, it's like, man, there's been a lot of dead people in here. Not just, this isn't anything new. You guys have had death for a long time. And, and the, the cemeteries, you know, you know, we had tombstones that I'm sure were like 1600 or something. Uh, in in these big places, and they were decrepit. And if you go back there now, you can still find them. But you, it's like you could—I think you could reach through the dirt and grab some bones or something like that because they're down the side of a hill and it's overgrown. And you know, the nicer area where my parents are buried is still be is nice. But you know, over time, who knows what's going to happen with that? Because these people are all dead. I know one of the issues shooting in L.A. And I always hear this: it's a constant thing when you're shooting in L.A. to be somewhere else is the palm trees, right? That's always always an issue, shooting around yeah, palm trees. palm right? trees are a pain in the ass here. Um, <laughs> like, okay, so right here, this isn't too bad. I'm only seeing these two right now. No, wait, they got a few in their yard. But this is it. Nope, there's one right there. There's one, two, three. So it's like trying to get rid of palm trees. This, is, this isn't a bad shot here. I don't see any palm trees going that. Oh, wait a second. Nope, they're down there. So, yes, it, it's a. It was a pain. It's a pain. I hate palm trees. Really, they're the worthless, most worthless tree. They give you no shade. They give you absolutely no shade. And then as they get bigger, when you're at eye level, all they are is a pole. You don't right. even see any foliage. Totally, they're the worst trees ever. And why we have to? Su- and then and then when they do drop a thing a frond it's not a leaf it's like a whole fucking log on the behind the scenes on the great scream factory blu-ray your you know co-writer and producer darren scott says of one of the cops in the first story Mm -hmm. that he was like a southern sheriff who came to la you depict police brutality you know at the hands of racist cops in the film um there's gang violence in the film you know obviously you know the rodney king beating and the la riots were very fresh still at this point when you yeah. made the movie. You know, previous L.A. films like 
you know, Boulevard Nights, Colors, of course, Boys in the Hood, Menace to Society, you know, set up this kind of cinematic iconography. Do you think, you know, those visuals and those social commentaries combine perhaps subliminally and maybe inadvertently suggest that Tales from the Hood is an L.A. film. There's just imagery that says it. <laughs> I've never thought about that before, but that could be. I mean, I, I you know, I, I, I'd almost have to ask that question to someone other than myself that, you know, like a, a viewer that, that, and go, where do you think it was found? <laughs> you know, uh, because I certainly wasn't particularly trying to, to do that. But I, I would say that, you know, probably the 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 last scenes where you you know you're seeing the shootout with the gang members and that whole thing that does feel los angeles and and the whole thing with uh, lamont bentley the crazy k thing where he's you know spinning around and and we're seeing all this violence so we're seeing that the old hangings juxtaposed with what we shot of gang violence you know uh, the drive-bys and stuff that we actually that was actually shot in um, north hollywood there's um these tracks that used to run through there it's a coffee shop oh yeah where the lancashire train depot yeah Yeah. exactly so that's where we shot all those drive-bys of (laughs) that that happened in there with the with the gang members anyhow that's a very minister society la kind of kind of vibe yeah my perspective is it does feel like LA and of course yeah, the more does. I've uh, the more I've become familiar with the architecture of Los Angeles and you see yeah. certain types of houses you see the, the kind of the craftsman homes mm-hmm. the Victorians that combination I feel like uh, maybe I am that person to ask it you does might, feel to me it feels like to me, yeah. it does feel kind of yeah, like well, LA I would definitely you know? say that that story and, and Lamont all the stuff that with his uh, Lamont Bentley feels very Los Angeles Tales from the Hood suggest that the tales we're being told are from the hood. I mean, <laughs> right. would you describe this as the hood where we are today? Yeah, actually, I would. And it was maybe even a little more hoodish than Angelino Heights, as I recall it. It, 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 it's, it seems like it's always on the edge of total gentrification, but not quite there. Um, there's still a lot of Latino families, I think, in this area. Not so much black, though there are some you know, African-Americans up around here, too. But there are a lot of brown people in this. And, but then you have these big old Victorian houses that, you know, some white families move into or, or, or you know, someone else. Maybe they're brown families as well. But they have the money to kind of deal with these big homes because these are, things are expensive and, and upkeep on these old houses ain't no joke. I mean, you know, you, you're, you're always fixing something. So, uh, yeah, I would, I would call this a hood, not this, not in the same way that you might not, that you might call parts of South Central the hood, but this is a long ways from, you know, Beverly Hills. This is a long ways from, uh, uh, some of the other places out in the Valley, which are more cookie cutter or more, they, they have a uniform feel to them and you know you can just look down the street here you know what's going on uh i I mean not in a bad way but just there's there's even though these are a lot of victorian we've seen a lot of wood houses there's no strong pattern to things someone decided i'm gonna do my shit like this and i'm gonna do mine like that you know so yeah it's hoodie you know you talked about kind of being able to upkeep these houses it's a big deal right um do you remember what state this house was in that you used? Was it I, in good? I think good it was condi- in a better condition than it is now. So I think. And I'm looking at the those those uh, draperies oh, up yeah, in the I window, and and those things must have been hanging there for years because the sun has literally burned holes through them. There's no grass now. I mean, that, that looks. 
it, it I think it looks a little less cared for than it did when we were here. The paint doesn't look too bad, but I don't remember it being green. I think it was blue. Yeah, I think so. And you guys aged it a little and obviously put the stained glass in and everything, the beautiful stained glass in the windows. Yeah, well, okay, so we shot them walking up from here, and then we had to build that front door on stage for you know some of the shots of them going in and and the the the, bl- the blind coming up and revealing Mr. Sims that was all shot uh, actually on stage so it was like a, a you know we shot some of it here and then some of it downtown but there is one angle i think from the inside because you can actually see the guys with the street yeah. behind yeah. them so you yeah. actually yeah. did get the camera in yeah, for we did one get the shot camera in you know? for a couple shots yeah and also i think on the commentary track you said that this night seemed like one of the longest nights in the world and i'm wondering for especially because the location is on screen for less than 4 minutes it's very fast uh-huh. and you said the rest of it was on stage so i'm wondering yeah. what could have been so challenging here that it would have been one of the worst nights shooting wow i you know i can't remember because today i would say one of the worst nights shooting was uh down on um pico where we're not when i had food poisoning that was oh, yeah. a rough ass night so when we were shooting uh the zombie scene uh on pico where the the car had flipped over and uh tom wright as a zombie now is standing on top of this police vehicle holding the head of wings hauser who's he's he's decapitated i was up in a condor you know these they put you high i don't know how many feet i was above the street but you're you're a good four stories up in the air or so and this thing and they they put it in the middle of the street and they kind of anchor it down because when you're up there you can feel the wind i mean it doesn't feel like it's windy but when you go up and there's nothing blocking anything and you're kind of swaying and so I was up there and I'm looking down and the, the car's on fire and, you know, we're getting ready to shoot and all this stuff. And then all of a sudden through our set, because it was probably like three in the morning, a car chase. And there's like two or three police cars chasing these guys. I don't know if they stole a car. I don't know if they killed someone. I don't know what the story was. But they fly in. And they almost hit this condor I'm on, which if, if they had... Uh, I could feel it sway as everybody went by, but then they kind of slowed down and you see them looking out the window as they're being chased by the cops. They see a cop car turned over a zombie, a decapitated head in his hand and fire flames all over the place. And they just slowed down. Their eyes were like wide as saucers, like what the fuck? And then the cops behind them, they're like, what the fuck? And then they, they just all keep, Jason down the street. I think that last element of them just keep going is the maybe the LA part of what what it feels like that's the LA-ness <laughs> yeah, of no, the story, just, right? Yeah, it totally. And, is. And of course, in any city, anybody who sees that would stop and be like, what the fuck is going on here? But right. the fact that they just continued, yeah. that is the LA part of yeah, I think, they're, the story. They're prob- they're, the cops have probably all done movie duty before. Right. And the criminals have probably all seen, you know, somebody shooting someplace, but it was just they got shocked for a minute, like, ah fuck. It's a movie set. We got to get out of here. Come on, guys. Totally. (laughs) Once you go outside the funeral home, everything becomes less exaggerated. You know, everything becomes more real. And I'm wondering how that actually relates to locations. Because we created the interior of the funeral home, it it made for an easy juxtaposition because, you know, we we had total control of how that interior was going to look. So nothing 
was going to look as weird as that. At least I, I didn't think so. You know, with the the weird organ and the crazy hallway and the stained glass and all that. The first story uh, with Martin Morehouse at the very end, of course, there's the um, the mural mm. with the alley. Yeah. Was it in your mind that you needed an alley? right across where it's kind of like a T intersection. T the, yeah. That was specifically something that you, you wanted so that when they would come in and out of this alley, that mural was right there. If I couldn't get that, I would have had to, I would have had to do it in shots, but that was optimum. Does, does that make sense? Yeah. It, it was like, you know, you, you have in your mind what you want. And then sometimes you have to make compromises because for any number of reasons that you can't find it or, something but yeah that that's that shot being able to go down the alley and then have him run right out and go holy shit here we go well then you have those 360 shots that you do around them and that allows you to do it yeah do that see the whole thing see the whole world there which is great arguably the most memorable story is the one with corbin bernson is this sleazy racist politician and he's living in this southern mansion yeah and he's eventually killed by the souls of slaves that have been dispersed into these dolls. These dolls yeah. um, and uh, it's not a setting, it being in the Deep South, essentially, that you would necessarily think you could find in, <laughs> in Los, Los Angeles, <laughs> yeah. right? I mean, but you managed to do it. At least, I mean, I know you built the interior, but that exterior yeah. location, yeah. which is, I think, in Wilmington, I mean, how lucky you were to actually find basically what looks like a southern plantation mansion in Los Angeles. I guess we, I guess we were pretty lucky. We, we, the only, there was only one other place that kind of fit the bill, and that was in Glendale. And then we saw this place, which has some kind of horror, a historical connotation, which I can't even recall now. What, whose house or? I think he's like the guy the, who founded. Wilmington, Wilmington? Okay, and I think sense. from uh, my <laughs> research, I think he's known as like the father of the Port of Los Angeles. Oh, Phineas well, Banning. Phineas Banning, of course. Phineas Banning. Phineas but the Banning. house, I mean, the house. I think it's uh, 1864. That yeah, house was yeah, built. Yeah, it's it's a nice old. Yeah, you know, it's got that vibe to it. And it's got a big lawn, so we definitely we definitely got lucky. But uh, you know, luck is such a big part of making movies. Um, I did a film called Whitewater a few years back where we needed, um, it was supposed to be based in this little southern town and we needed a town square to put these water fountains in, whites only, and a colored fountain and a whites only fountain. And we're searching around and we're searching around and we stumbled into a town where it, it was like one of these little towns that has you know a, a courthouse in the middle and then literally four streets surrounding it, which is the entire downtown in quotes area. And I think they shot some of Mississippi burning in this oh, little wow. area too. Yep. Uh, Lafayette, uh, Alabama, or is that where we were? Lafayette. And um, all these storefronts, because this is a period piece, they were, it was like someone already set decorated. And it was just sheer luck. And, you know, so similar to, Finding this thing out here, it, it it was luck, but it's it's what's the old luck meets preparation or something like that. So you got to have you got to have some luck. I can only imagine that the house that was in Glendale was this house that's actually pretty well known over there. It's it's known as the Madison Boy Johnson House. It's on ah. Ken, Kenneth Road. Yeah, yeah, um, Kenneth Road. That's right. Nineteen twenty-two, yeah. uh, and um, what has always been said about that house and 
makes sense because you're looking at it for a southern plantation mansion is that it was inspiration for Terra and Gone with the Wind. Ah, that, that makes house sense. over there. Yeah, yeah, um, it totally makes sense. And actually, that house is the house of uh, Mr. Shirley Clark Griswold's boss in uh, Christmas Vacation. Um, oh, I just want to I just want to point out it's like all snow frock and everything awesome. all over it. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> yeah, I think the reason why I think the street setup was better at the one in Wilmington. The lawn was bigger, and we had the protesters out there. We could see them easier, and all this. Well, what's cool too, I noticed, is that there's a because there's a, a POV shot from Corbin Burnson looking right. out the window right. at the protesters. Right. And across the street, there's actually a house that kind of gives a Southern, southern vibe, vibe to it. So yeah. you've got that all yeah. going for it. And it might, yeah. I think it literally is just that one house that has that look and you got that perfect <laughs> kind of look at it. You know, it's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. um, I mean, the inside, I know, because there's actually a virtual tour of that house online. You oh, can go okay. and look. And the rooms are like tiny. They're itty bitty. They're really small. And that yep. front office, because I know you you know, you know, built his office, you built yep. that whole yep. hallway, grand staircase. Even if you were allowed to shoot in there. It would have been a nightmare. I would have hated it. You, I don't think you could have even done. You couldn't have no. done. And you have all the, the camera moves prepping for when you're going to insert the doll. Mm-hmm. And so the camera's just moving all over yeah. the place. Yeah. There was like I don't think there's any room in that real house to no. do any of that stuff. No, the, the interior, you know? that place and the one in Glendale both of them were unusable for uh for that so yeah we built all that on stage where, where did you shoot tales two and three tales two we shot in Laplace Louisiana which is uh maybe 25 minutes outside of New Orleans something like that 20 which I think minutes. is one of the towns that recently got really hit with the hurricane I think I remember oh, seeing the name I, on yeah, the yeah. on the on the yeah. news recently yeah Laplace has a, is you know there's not much in Laplace and it's also what we found out after we got there and we're in our hotel and get ready to shoot has one of the highest uh concentrations of cancer because they there's a lot of factories down there i think of one of the factories that makes neoprene and there's a lot of other stuff so not not a great place to be doing a lot of breeding and then <laughs> tales three we shot in canada in uh winnipeg did you go to these other places because of tax rebates and yeah. things like that yeah and and i i would say like location wise i got real lucky with one of the houses in laplace uh, in the in the uh, story, I think the fourth story in, in that, uh, the Emmett Till kind of tale, um, we, we found this great house. It was like next to this factory, and it was just owned by a company. No one lived there, but it was a gorgeous house, and it, 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 it just had that, that southern vibe to it. And I probably looked at a gazillion um, potential kind of plantation-style homes while I was down there, including, you know, where Tarantino shot a bunch of stuff and all of that. And then on Tales 3 in Winnipeg, uh, once again, it was for the tax credits, but that actually worked out really well because we we ended up in some locations there that we would have been able to find similar places here, but they would have cost us a fortune here. And, uh, you know, so some of the, particularly some of the stuff that Darren shot for the, you know, big uh, uh, concert hall stuff, not going to be able to afford that here. And then uh, some of the places I found uh, later for the, the finale with Tony Todd and our little girl. Other than the fact that it was supposed to be Tales from the Hood and it was really hard to find black actors up there. Uh <laughs> <laughs> Great location. That's, uh, that's actually interesting. That's uh, 
that's actually something I'm I've never really thought of in terms of lo- location. Yeah, um, yeah. That the, the tough thing about you know nowadays everybody's trying to save money and and do things super cheap and you know you end up in these weird places. But you know uh, they may or may not want to fly in actors. It's like we were talking about earlier um, because it pulls stuff out of the budget and then they want to try and cast local people. And you know sometimes you get find a diamond in the rough and sometimes you're like oh god <laughs> sucks that's a whole other i mean that that real that real that's an interesting aspect of where you're actually going to go shoot something too that yeah. doesn't always doesn't always come up uh, in these discussions so that's, that's yeah yeah i mean it's you know i mean and if you have the money to fly people in then you know whatever do what you know go to the moon you yeah. do whatever you want to do but um if, if you're going to try and cast local folks and in some of the southern areas, like when I sh- shot uh, Creep Show with Nicotero, and I've shot other stuff in Atlanta, they've got a big actor base there. So you can find people if you're in Atlanta. You pretty much find people in Louisiana. But when you're starting to get, you know, certain places like well, I just shot a movie in Wilmington, North Carolina, and looking for local talent was not easy. If you were to again return to you know whether it's doing another Tales from the Hood film or something else, some derivative of Tales from the Hood, maybe it's something on television. I don't know. Do you ever see yourself returning to the Sims funeral home? You know, as we talked about Tales two and three, you know, there was a point where we almost got Tales done a few years. Tales two, that is, a few years after Tales one. And then studio folks changed and shit happened and it fell apart. If we had gotten to do it then, we would have been back at Sims Funeral Home and Clarence Williams III would have reprised in some shape, form, or fashion because he wanted to. By the time we got to two, I kind of begged Clarence to do it. I got him in American Nightmares for a thing and I told him, we're going to do Tales 2 and I want you to do it. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But then... By the time we got to do Tales 2, he's like, no, I'm not doing it. I'm not acting anymore. And, um, you know, I kind of had to respect that. But without him, there was no way I was going to come back. It was like, you can't can't get a new Mr. Sims because you can't top that performance. You, You know, what he did in it, maybe he could, but I think it would almost be unfair to ask another actor to, yeah. to do that. And then, of course, also that set was built and it was on a stage and, I, you know, rebuilding it or kind of trying to come up with something because you can't find it. And the money that we had on Tales 2 and 3 is dwarfed by the resources we had on the first Tales. The first Tales, I've been told by folks, if we were to have shot it today, would well... This is a few years ago they told me this number. So I'm guessing if we shot it today, it's an 18 to $20 million movie. You know, <laughs> we don't have that kind of money. Now. Right. What, is it, uh, what does it mean for you today that people do keep discovering the first movie? Yeah, I guess as an artist, you're thrilled to know that, you're, that people still can find something in what you did and like what you did. Uh, from the social commentary side, it's sad that... Practically every story in there is uh, still has some level of validity and purpose that you kind of go, oh, yeah, we're still dealing with all these same shit. Everything. 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 It's, and, and that's annoying. You know, it's like, you know, the police situation has gotten worse. Domestic abuse, that's never going away because people are people and there's always going to be some 
you know, element that, that does that. But that, that's that's sad. Black on black crime is still there, you know, gang gang stuff. And, you know, the politics that the, the the Duke Mexters of the world have only multiplied now. They're everywhere. I mean, it's the, you know, the Republican Party, uh, apologies to anyone that feels otherwise, is uh, rife with these folks now. And and uh, that's sad. Yeah, <laughs> that's no, for sad. sure. Uh, well, I just want to uh, say thanks so much, Rusty, for joining me here today. Yeah, I really no do. problem. It was, really it was a lot fun. of fun. I was so excited about doing this um, after watching the film a few times more recently. Um, I'm really happy to feature uh, Tales from the Hood for our, our October episode. The Sims Funeral Home House makes a lasting impression on an audience. At least it does for me. And, you know, the exterior is really always in the back of my mind, even though we're always inside and the exterior is on screen for less than four minutes. Um, but I think, you know, there's something great about an old Victorian house in a horror movie, no matter how much time it gets. It right. really makes an impression. Right. Uh, I also really want to thank my good buddy, John Quinn, who connected me with Rusty. John's a, a great film editor. He's a fellow fan of horror movies, and he's worked yeah. with Rusty a few times, having edited uh, Tales from the Hood 2 and 3, and then did Whitewater he as did well. Tales, right? Yeah, Tales 2, 3, and Whitewater. He's a great editor. And, uh, uh, yeah, I thank John, too. It was a lot of fun. Uh, and, and, you know, if you ever want to come and visit the Sims Funeral Home, come check it out. It's at 1343 Kellum Avenue in Angelino Heights. It's near downtown L.A., but please remember... Do not disturb the residents, living or deceased, uh, of this house or any other movie or TV house. I always like to say, you know, we need to respect their privacy, uh, unless it's Halloween and, you know, you're here trick-or-treating, because this seems like actually a great uh, oh, Halloween yeah, trick-or-treating neighborhood. Yeah. Um, you know, make sure to follow us on our social media to find out about upcoming episodes, uh, learn about when new episodes are coming out. All of our handles can be found uh, on the website, onlocationpodcast.com. Thanks for spending some time with us on location. We'll see you next time, and happy Halloween.